that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, and we're going to be beginning in verse 17. But just a couple things before we begin. I like to, uh, someone corrected me this week, so I'd like to be corrected. I'd love your input if you'd like to talk about things, and it seems biblical. I talked about some statistics last week of marriage and divorce, and uh, it seems that the actual statistics for divorce in the Christian church are not what the secular world tells us. In fact, what we have to do is look at the correct questions, and they weren't asked on these surveys that were done by the secular world. And truly, if you are a born-again believer, and you read your Bible, and you're practicing the gospel instead of living in culturanity, the divorce rate in the church is actually almost nil. In fact, the marriages last for 70 or 80 years. But when you just go out and you ask a whole group of people that everybody thinks they're Christians, and everybody says I'm a Christian because I was born in the United States, then you begin to see that the divorce rate looks just like the church. But, with, but I was corrected this week according to those statistics, and so it is not the same as the world. And any man who is actually living for Christ and covering his wife and he's laying his life down as Christless, he's not going to be looking to put away his wife or divorce her. He's going to be looking to be Christ-like to her. So it's very important that any time that I make a mistake, if you want to correct me and it's biblical, just do it in private. And then I will admit it or I will represent it properly to the, to the flock. Because there's no perfect pastors. There's no perfect people. We're being perfected. And the second thing that I'd like to really just open as, as a way of, of introduction is we were talking last week about divorce the same way. And, and how Moses gave the children of Israel, permission to give a certificate of divorce. And then we went back to Deuteronomy 24, and we looked at that, and we talked about how the certificate was always to protect the woman. It was always to protect her, right? Well, the certificate was also only given, when you look in the Bible, it was only given during the betrothal period. Once the marriage was consummated, there was no divorce, and you can see different places in the Bible where the, the man does not divorce. Even King David, he put one of his wives up in another house and he continued to take care of her, but he didn't know her anymore sexually. But he still had a binding relationship with her. And there was no divorce really in the Bible after it was consummated. Now don't let that 
harm you in your thinking because still divorce is not the the sin of blasphemy of the holy spirit but divorce is very serious when you harm somebody you cause them to commit adultery if you divorce somebody without any grounds that, that, that are biblical now it would seem that if somebody commits adultery to you you can put them away but i would always counsel you to make a marriage work because God is a forgiving God. And actually the Bible tells us if you do not forgive someone else, then God can't forgive you. So it's so important that we understand to have a forgiving heart. And the church does not want to follow after the world. And the world does divorce for anything. We have disposable marriages. And that ought not to be in a heart of a, in the life of Bible-believing Christians. Now again... It can be forgiven. That's not permission. But that's setting us free from the baggage. It's not permission to get a divorce. And when we know that, and we're Christians and we're living, and right now your marriage, you might say it stinks, well then lay your life down. Get your heart right before Jesus, because the smell is coming from you also. It's not just that it's your, your spouse. It's never just the other spouse. But we get our eyes fixed on that spouse and we find all of these problems and we go, these are unreconcilable when in truth we should get our eyes fixed on Jesus and have our own heart taken care of. And when our own heart is taken care of, we'll stop accusing and judging our spouse. And we'll begin to live righteously and make them a better spouse. So uh, divorce I know it's a very difficult subject, but you have to remember that when you really look at it in the whole of everything, is that God created man. And then he brought him a bride, and he made a woman out of his side. And then they were told to repopulate. So then they have a family. And everything is about this family, that Jesus came. He became our kinsman redeemer. He became our brother he became flesh, and He died for us so that we could be redeemed by His blood back into the family of God. Because we are a family. And then we can actually live one day forever with Him. But if we just ignore Him, and we're going to talk about that more now, because once you see this, you see the text is about dying to self, denying self, taking up our cross, and following Jesus. Then he talks of marriage. Then he talks of divorce. Then he talks of children. And really, he says this, and this is our last text last week. He says, 1015, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. Remember the disciples, uh, the, the parents are bringing children as they would do with teachers and, and, and have them bless them. And the disciples are like, get away from here. The teacher's busy. And, and he got mad and he rebukes them. And, he's, and, and then he actually says, we all have to receive. Notice that really quickly. All have to receive. It's a free gift handed out. Nobody's going to hell because God did not give them the free gift of salvation. They can go to hell because they rejected it, but it was handed out to anybody. Right now, all you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is say, yes, Lord. 
It's already been given. His blood has already been spilled. The price has already been paid. It's a free gift to everybody. But you have to receive it as a trusting child would. You have to receive all of it, as in somebody who is dependent totally upon his blood, totally upon his gospel, his way. You come to him with childlike trusting faith. You don't stay childish. See, our self-nature, our sin nature, it's real childish. It only wants what we want. But as a child, you come trusting Him by faith. You come dependent upon Him by faith. And you come looking at Him as a perfect Father who provides everything. And then you come wanting to obey in a perfect kingdom where everybody obeys. They don't go back and do what Eve did. Salvation doesn't return us to go do what Eve did and say no to God. It brings us back under the authority as a child of God into the family of God to say yes to God and follow God as we're led by the Holy Spirit. And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God, Romans 8.14 tells us. So, we have to come, in order to enter the kingdom of God, we have to come as little children, believing all things. I, I, I mess with my grandchildren all the time and I can tell them almost anything and they believe it. And now Silas is taken to, uh, really? Or, or, or are you joking me? You know, because I say stuff to him and I'm just playing. But they have that childlike faith where they're looking at you for dependency like you're their everything and we're little gods to them and they believe us. And they follow us. And you can lead them astray so easily. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you are uh, listening to the Holy Spirit. You're getting into the word, prayer, and fellowship. That you're able to be corrected. Because there's a problem in the church today. where It's like the days of judges where, where, where everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Because there's no king in the land. There's no king Jesus. So we can't be corrected. Our, our neighbor can't say to us, well, you shouldn't do that. Your neighbor can't say to you, well, that's not a proper thing to do as a Christian because then they go, don't judge me, man. Listen, we need to have hearts that will receive correction. Hearts that are merciful and forgiving to others, but also that will listen to truth from the Word of God. And if we're not able to be corrected... Our hearts won't change. We'll stay the same selfish, sin-natured, pit-dwelling people. Because life is a bunch of corrections. It's a series of repentances. Every time you see truth, you have to confess it and agree with God. And ask Him for His strength and His power and His might to conform your heart, your life into His image. But if you resist Him and harden your heart as in the day of rebellion... And ignore His truth, ignore His Word, then are we really His children? Because that's good old-fashioned sin nature. That's what the devil would love us to do. So then we come to what's commonly called the rich young ruler. And we get that from other texts where you find out that he's rich. You find out that he's a ruler, probably in the synagogue. And verse 17 of Mark 10, we begin to read. 
Now he was now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, "Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life?" So Jesus said to him, "Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God." You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who can be saved? Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Let's pray. Father, pour out your Spirit and open the eyes of our heart that we would see what you would say to your church, to each one of us personally and corporately, Lord. We pray for that love relationship to be real, where we could hear your voice and we could obey. We pray you'd peel back the layers of our heart, remove the hardness, and help us to receive with meekness the implanted word for the saving of the soul. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look back. It's 1017. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life. Now, there's a lot there to unpack. Notice first, it's a great question. A fantastic question that the church should still be asking. And we should know the answer to. And we should make sure we stay focused on the blood of Jesus. See, at this time, he's not poured out his blood, but we know that that is what it is. Looking forward to the Messiah, the Old Testament saints were saved. Looking back, the New Testament, we know more fully we're saved by the blood of Jesus. Nothing we can do but as little children receive the gift that has been poured out for us. Notice the actions. Honest question, 
honest answer on it. But look what he does. Listen, and you would look at this and you would say, wow, what humility, what zeal, what power. He comes running. He's serious about this. He runs to the Lord. He runs as fast as he can get there. Now, this is a rich, young ruler. I don't know if you know that in the Jewish culture, uh, it wasn't honorable to run. You're in a dress-type kilt. It didn't work real well. You could trip. But he didn't just come running. He knelt down. He knelt down before him, showing honor to the teacher. And then he called him good. And this is not just any word for good. This means intrinsically. This means purity intrinsically. So he's really calling him God. He's calling him the Messiah. He recognizes who he is. So it looks very pious. It looks very good. It looks like we're on our way. We believe in Jesus. Pay attention. Because he's going to hear truth and go away sorrowful. See, well, when you hear, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Why does he hear and go away sorrowful? Because his heart has already been given to something else. Listen, he looks on the outside like he's very spiritual. He's running. He's looking for the answer. He's finally found it. He kneels down. He says, you're good. I've found the Messiah. But he doesn't listen to the Messiah. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? If you love me, keep my commandments. All the outward pretense means nothing if the heart isn't following. Good questions, if we ignore the answer, is nothing but a false question. Means nothing, it's pretense. Was that a good question I asked? Yes, but you have to listen to the answer. You have to receive the answer. If you go on doing what you've always done, when the truth is before you, you keep following the lie, then there was no sense in asking the question. Now, eternal life, now look at this, because we all are eternal. It means perpetual. We all are eternal. It means forever, everlasting. But see, we're everlasting life or we're everlasting death. There's only two resurrections. Resurrection of life and the resurrection of dead. But all of us are eternal. Make no mistake, these bodies are earthly tents, made to wear out. But our souls, our spirit is eternal and going to spend eternity somewhere, either with God or separated from God. You cannot spend eternity with God in the everlasting life unless we listen to God and do it God's way. Two paths, life or death, can't be in the middle. You're either everlasting life or you're everlasting death. 
your decision, your choice. Here comes, and, and, and you know what, what you really get down to when you look at this and you say the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler is self-righteous. He's been taught by man to be religious and he thinks he's okay and he really isn't okay. And he comes and he sees that Jesus is the Messiah, but he rejects him. He doesn't receive him in childlike faith. He doesn't obey him. He goes and does his own thing and it remain, he remains sorrowful and sad. When he could have had joy in the Lord. I can't help when I see the running. But contrast it. Listen. Because here's religion. Man running to God. But relationship is God running to man. Do you remember this, the, the, the story of the prodigal son? And the son came to his senses when he's eating pods in a, in a field, pig food. And what happens when he comes to his senses? He says, I'm going to go back to my father and be a servant for my father. But when he was looking that way, his father came running. His father came running to him. And put a royal robe on him and put the signet ring on his hand. See, religion is us running to God and asking a question. And then not obeying what the answer is. But relationship is understanding this great salvation. Seeing the blood of Jesus and beginning to come and say, I know I can be perfected. In fact, in Matthew, it even says that word, if you want to be perfect, go and sell everything. We're going to see that contrast in a minute. And nobody's going to be perfect on this planet, but positionally we become perfect. And then when we see Him face to face, we are perfect. Because He's perfect, and we're becoming like Him as His children. So listen to me. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. All of us have eternal something. We're eternal. And it's either life or death. And if we believe in the blood of Jesus... It's life, and that more abundantly. But we can't say, yes, Lord, and then every time He wants to interrupt our life or say something to us, we say no and go away in sorrow and think that we're okay. That's religion. I'm not saying you earn your salvation. Faith without works is dead, though, James would tell us. And and what he means is that, that, that true Saving faith produces obedience. It produces works. It produces obedience to God's Word. If it's true saving faith. It produces a heart that wants to go and obey God. And do the work of the ministry. To enter into what Jesus is doing in saving souls. And telling people the gospel. Giving them an opportunity to surrender. So he does all the outward things, which I call culturanity or religion. He's running. He comes to the right place. He kneels down. He knows that he's good intrinsically. 
pure. And he asked the right question, which all of us, we don't want to go to hell. Nobody wants to go to hell. But many people will choose hell by their very actions. So Jesus said to him, verse 18, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. Now, now listen, Jesus always answers questions with a question. But notice this is pretty much rhetorical. He doesn't even give him a chance to answer. He doesn't give him a chance to answer. He just moves on. But he does tell us that there's... And he, and he really qualifies the good. It's not, just, it's not just good. And we see now the man's heart. That the man thinks that he's good intrinsically. And he's the Messiah. And Jesus makes that clear by what he says to him. And then he doesn't camp out on it. He makes sure that he keeps moving he doesn't ignore that the man is worshiping him. Remember that. He allows it. He's kneeling down. And then in 19, he goes on forward. You know the commandments. Well, how can you say that? Well, because I'm God and I know your heart. I've written them on your heart. Notice this. He, he knows this man's heart. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Listen to me, There's a, when he says do not defraud, it's kind of interesting, because we're going to go, I'm going to go there in a minute and look at it. Really in Exodus 20, it says do not covet. Do not covet. And here in and in all three of the evangelists that do that, I mean, Matthew 19, uh, he says, uh, oh, let me look. They, they say something different for the coveting. And I was like, well, what is going on with that? Um, he says, for coveting, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Luke, he doesn't even, in Luke 18, he doesn't even mention it. He doesn't give the full six commandments of the second part of the tablet of the commandments of God. Because notice what this is. This really is the second part of the commandments. It's your earthly loving your neighbors. It's not the first four commandments, which the first three deal with one God, only God. No, don't make any image. And, and, of course, number four is keeping the Sabbath holy. We're going to go there and look at it in a minute. But I, I, I don't want to get ahead of it. I want you to see this. Um, is that defraud, actually, I looked it up. Defraud means to deprive or keep back by fraud. It means to despoil. And I'm like, I, we don't use that words, do we? Despoil. But that means to strip or to rob or to take by force. So it goes a little bit further than coveting because coveting... With coveting, you kind of go, I'd like to have what they got. And your heart begins to want that and chase that and pursue that. We call it keeping up with the Joneses that is driving us instead of the Spirit of God. We want to have what everybody else has. But here he's saying defraud. Now, I don't know because I believe he's speaking here specifically to this rich young ruler. Why do I say that to you? Because it's a personal love relationship. He's going to speak specifically to you. 
about what you're doing in your heart that is keeping you from surrendering completely to God if you're not fully surrendered, if you haven't entered into His ministry, if you haven't denied yourself and taken up your cross and you're not following Him, He wants to speak to you. But he puts defraud here. And, that, and, and maybe because he was a businessman. He was a rich young ruler. And maybe because he didn't just covet it. But he began to defraud people and take stuff. I don't know. But I do know he's speaking specifically to him right now. But the application is to all of us. So notice it is the second tablet. It's dealing with people. It's how he deals with people. It's how he deals with his horizontal relationships. Now why doesn't he say anything about the first four commandments? Listen to me. If you're obeying the first four commandments, you're not going to deal this way with your neighbor. See, because if you can't remember the commandments, all, all ten of them, remember this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Seek first the kingdom of God, vertical relationship, and know that all these other things will be added to you. If you are getting your vertical relationship with God, not religion, relationship with God correct, it will change your horizontal relationships. It'll change the way you treat the people around you. Because if you begin to love God and, you, and you're learning to become like God, He died for the world. He died for your neighbor. He loves even that person that hasn't received Him. He loved the whole world. That doesn't mean that He's not going to justly judge them in the final chapter. You know, like when somebody irritates you and you look at them and you say stuff about them. God's not doing that. God is patient and kind and loving and long-suffering. He's not in heaven talking bad about us. He's not accusing. He's not. He died for us so that we can be reconciled to Him. So He just wants to deal with the horizontal because the horizontal really will always reveal your vertical. If you're not loving and serving and entering into the work of the ministry, then your vertical is automatically messed up. It's already tainted. You already have something else as a God before you. Because if He's really God and you're led by the Spirit, you're going to be doing what He's called you to do. Notice the pious answer that the rich young ruler all of these things I have done from my youth. See his overinflated opinion of himself? Think about it, because you can't do it perfectly. Nobody can do it perfectly. Not on God's standards. Listen, do not do not murder, or excuse me, do not commit adultery. Look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've committed adultery already to your neighbor. Do not murder. Hate them in your heart. You've already committed a murder. Do not steal. I, I have never been able to ask anybody, you ever steal anything, and them say no and be honest. 
We've all pilfered. We've all taken stuff that didn't belong to us. It's our sin nature. We want and we take it. We defraud somebody of their own property. Do not bear false witness. Never been able to ask anybody and they've never said, I've never lied. In fact, the Bible says if you say you've never lied, you call God a liar. See, and, 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 then, and then if somebody wants to say, well, I didn't and I don't. Well, James said if you break and you err in one point of the law, you've broken them all. In James 2.10. You break one part of the law, you've broken them all. Let's look at uh, Exodus 20 quickly. Old Testament, Exodus 20, giving of the Ten Commandments. And listen, and there's so many things that are crazy in our world today, and it really doesn't mean anything. But really, when you see two tablets of stone, listen, you don't see five commandments on one and five on another. It was a contract that the children of Israel made with God, and both sets of the contracts were put into the Ark of the Covenant. So there was ten commandments on one stone and ten on the other. And it was both copies that Moses brought down. So there's ten on each one of them. So when you see all these things that people that are well-meaning and they've got five on one and five on another, if you was going to divide them, you'd divide them the first four and then the next six because they're about heavenly relationship and then earthly relationship. Let's just look. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He, he defines who He is. He's the one that saved. He's the one that delivered them out of bondage, out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And to us, it's out of the house of bondage of the devil. It's sin. Egypt is always a type of the world or our sin. He breaks the bonds that hold us. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. Nobody else is going to deliver you. God doesn't take second place. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me. But showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Notice what he just said there in the second commandment. Don't come up with any other image of who God is. Don't carve it out. Don't shape it in your mind. But look what he says here in verse 5. Of those who hate me. Verse 6. Of who love me and keep my commandments. Listen. There's not a bunch of roads here. There's not a bunch of gray area. Either you hate God or you love God. Either your heart wants to obey God or you hate Him. There's, it, it, there's life and death. There's not a bunch of roads here. There's no wiggle room. He didn't give a bunch of categories. He brings the inequity upon those who hate Him. And He shows mercy to those who love Him. If you've received that mercy, that's how salvation comes, the grace of God. But it's a mercy, a throne of, of grace, handing out mercy and grace to help in time of need. It shows mercy to those who love me and keep my commandments. 
not for salvation, but it's a heart toward obeying because we've now entered back into his house and the heart toward disobeying is where sin came from. The third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That means empty. That, mean, that means that you say, I believe in Jesus, and then you go live any way you want. Now, a lot of people say that's a cuss word. I don't believe it's proper to say GD or to cuss with God's name in it. But God is just a generality. It's just a general term for whatever is the master passion of your life, whatever controls you, whatever you're dominated by. That's all God is. It's a general term. What it really means is to say, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus and the blood, and then to do nothing to live differently. That's in vain. That, that, is, that is espousing something that's not true. That's the rich young ruler coming and running and looking like he's really pious and ready to go for God. He's kneeling down and saying, you're good, and then walking away sorrowful because he won't obey nothing. He won't do anything. He won't change nothing. He, notice what he's going to tell him to do. This is really important. Jesus tells him to go his way and sell everything that he has. Don't stay there. Come back. Take up the cross and follow me. See, he admits that your way over there, go sell it all. Get rid of it. And take up death to self and get in the way with me. That's what he's saying to him. And that's why I say it's every one of us. Something, one thing is keeping us from taking up death to self and being in the way with what the Holy Spirit is doing. There's one thing in all of us. And that's the thing that God wants to speak to us about. The devil would love to keep feeding that thing. And then on the fourth commandment, look at this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the, excuse me, is the Sabbath of the Lord God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servants. That means anybody in, in your house. Nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, another testimony of creation, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. He set it apart. And listen, Jesus Christ becomes our Sabbath. He's our rest. He fulfilled all of it. So what does it mean for you and I to honor the Sabbath day? What does it mean in our relationship with God is to cease to be dead to ourselves. It means to stop our work. It means to stop our great ideas, stop our programs, and rest in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's how we keep the Sabbath holy forever. is to stop with our own conceits and to take up the cross and follow Him. Enter into His gospel work. And when we begin to do that, then the other 
falls into place with the horizontal relationships. And all of us, all of us need work with this. So when he mentions these to him, he's talking about his relationship with people. And your relationship with people will show you a good, good evidence of what your relationship with God is like. Oh, I love God. I just don't want to be anywhere around these people. I don't go to fellowship. I don't go to church. I don't go to any of those places. Because I love God, but I don't want to be around these people. Think about that. Think about your heart. Think about that. There's people that would rather be doing something else than being around the people of God. When he just said we all become a new family. He's getting ready to talk about it with his boys when he calls them aside, the disciples. You have to leave the old house, the old family, the old father, the old mother, the old... You have to leave all of that and come into this new family and there's great reward in it. There's an inheritance from it. Verse 20, Mark 10, verse 20. Rich young ruler answered and said to him, Teacher. Now he's not calling him good teacher now because he said something to him and he didn't like where it's going. He's no longer saying good teacher, but when he ran up and he had a question, he was good teacher. Now he's just teacher. Okay, maybe he's not good. Maybe he's the wrong guy. He's not giving me the answer I want. He's not going in the same place. I thought I was okay already. I was just running up and wanting his affirmation that my actions were good. Now he becomes teacher all of a sudden. Teacher, all these things. I, ego is the Greek word there, E-G-O, ease God out. I have kept from my youth. Now we can give him the benefit of the doubt. We can say, well, he's been keeping the law. He's been bringing the sacrifice. He's been trying to have a good conscience before God. But we know, because we know the whole context here, that it's not true because he would listen and obey if it were true. What he's really doing is relying upon his own strength. He's relying upon his own actions. He's relying upon the fact that God has blessed his money. He has money and he's a ruler to think that he's okay with God. But whether you have money or don't have money has nothing to do with godliness. See, we have made the same mistake in our culture today that a lot of times because somebody has good manners a good education, and they're a businessman, or they make money and they pay their bills, we think they go to church, they're godly. No. has nothing to do with it. They could be hell-bent and, and, and living for the devil and do that. Listen, it's the blood of Jesus. Has no, I mean, poor people don't get to go to hell just for being poor. Rich people don't get to go to hell just for being rich. And vice versa. You don't get to go to heaven for being poor unless it's poor in spirit. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. That means you die to your spirit. You die to your desires. That means you die and you understand that you can only have eternal life from Jesus and the blood been handed out to everybody all we have to do is receive it like little children and be dependent upon it trust in it look nowhere else for help but understand that he is the only answer 
He's the name above all names, whereby which every knee will bow one day. So he claims, look at it, Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't argue with him. Listen to me. A lot of arguments in the church shouldn't be there. We argue about a lot of things, and then we end up forgetting about what the real context is. We argue. We point. Look at this. Jesus doesn't say, well, now, come on, rich young ruler, Johnny, whatever your name is. I just seen you last week defraud Bob with your business deal. Oh, he could have said that. Remember, he's God. Remember how he acted with the, with the Samaritan woman by the well in John 4. She's being smart, Alec, and he says, well, go get your husband. And he, she, she said, I don't have a husband. She said, he said, what to her? Because he knows her heart. You rightly answered. You truly answered that. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband, but you're living with him. See, he could have said the same thing to this guy. He could have given him a whole list of all the jobs he defrauded people on, how he got his riches, how he paid for his rulership. And I'm adding in there, these are not true contexts, but I'm saying if, since he knows everything, he knows his heart, he could have said any number of things to controvert what he's saying. I've done that all my life. He didn't argue with him. What does it say he did? He loved him. Listen. Wisdom loves. He loved him. Look at it, verse 21. Then Jesus, looking at him, he's always looking at people. As we've been, have you guys noticed that? He's looking at people. That's relationship. Remember when, Jesus, when, when uh, Peter denied him and he looked and seen him in his eyes and the rooster crowed? He's always looking. It says he looked at him. Well, it says beheld him in the King James. Looking is New King James. It means to discern clearly. It means to look upon, to observe. But he knows clearly what's going on. And instead of saying, come on, rich young ruler, look at all the mistakes you made last week. Or how about on the way when you were running here, the people you ran over? No, he just, it says, he looked at him, he discerned clearly, he has compassion, and it says he loved him. He loved him. Unconditionally. And what did he do because he loved him? He told him the truth. See, because telling the truth is so very unpopular in our churches, in our world, don't get in my business. Don't tell me the truth. I'm not going back to that church. Why? Because they're telling the truth? Because they're preaching the Word of God? Oh, he stepped all over my toes. Well, he was aiming at your heart. He wanted to hit your heart with the truth of the Word of God so you would surrender and receive correction. He loved him, so he spoke to him. He didn't argue with him, and he said, one thing you lack. Isn't that interesting? Listen, because you might look at your life and go, man, I got a whole bunch of stuff I'm lacking. One thing you lack. One thing I lack. One thing we lack. 
Just one thing that's holding our heart up from surrendering completely to God. One thing. It's your way. Look what he says. One thing you lack, go your way. See, that's the opposite of following. Following means to be in the way with. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Surrender your life. Lay down. Take up a cross. He says to him, look at that. I put it in parentheses and quotations. Go your way. See, if you go your way, you ain't going with God. Doesn't matter what your way is. Your way's a little different than mine. My way's a little different than yours. His way's a little different. But when you are not in unity with the Spirit of God, going and following God, you're going your way. So he tells him to go back his way. But what does he tell him to do? Sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. This is God's answer to a rich young ruler. Now listen to me, because it was specifically for him. This man was bound by riches. Riches ruled his life. I like the way Gil Irwin used to say it. If you have one bicycle and somebody tells you to give it away, pretty easy. But if you have a thousand bicycles and you're told to give them away, pretty difficult. Makes it harder. The more bicycles you have, the harder it is just to give them to everybody. Now, I want to also point out that, and I don't know if in the Greek it actually has the connotation, but he said, sell all that you have and give to the poor. It doesn't really say, and give all of it away. It's just do your part with the poor. It doesn't really say. Now, in the Greek, it might infer to just give it all away, because I really believe with the gospel sense, if you follow the analogy or the, the picture that's going on, is that you have to lay it all down. But he's not necessarily telling you to give all your money away. What he's wanting you to do is release and turn loose of that which holds you and keeps you from full surrender to God. Because something is holding you. One thing you are lacking all of us, one thing we are lacking, there's, a, there, there, there's something that is in the way of your relationship with God. If you are not putting souls before yourself, lives before yourself, your neighbor before yourself, Others before you. Because the gospel is God-centered, God first, and then others-oriented. It's giving yourself away. Jesus is the pattern. He's the one. And His mission came to save souls. And He asked us to come and follow His example. To serve and give our lives away. And go in the same direction that He's going. To be led by the Spirit to do the work of God for the glory of God. And then we come to church to be equipped and everybody says, break, amen. And then they go out and do whatever they want to do. And if the Spirit of God was leading us to go out and do whatever we wanted to do, it would be in unity to save souls. Because that's what God's doing on the planet. So it has to be the one thing that we lack. 
lack. Ooh, one thing you lack. King James is lackest. It actually means to fall short. You fall short in one way. See, and if you fall short in one way, you've fallen short of the glory of God. Not for salvation. It means to suffer need. It means to be deficit. It means to be inferior. What's the one thing you lack? Again, Matthew 19.21 says, um, if you want to be perfect. When does that happen? When we see Him face to face. If you want to inherit the internal life. If you want to cross the finish line. If you want to step in. What do you need to go sell? What do you need to get rid of? Maybe it's a maybe it's not riches. You go, I'm poor. You know what? You can you can have a heart of greed and have no money. You can have a heart that dominates you because you want money and your attitude is is that anybody with money is bad and that can be something that will get into your way of your relationship with God. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And really this this you're going to see that this man's problem is not having riches it's he's trusting in them riches have him he can't be set free he's in bondage to them but jesus looks at all of us and he loves us what did he do when he loved us he died for us he laid down his life he gave us freedom from our sin nature where we've fallen short and we can't keep the law And in His love, we can keep all of the law. Or at least be right before God because of His great love when we receive Him as little children. So, go your way. Sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Listen, you can't serve God and mammon. Where your heart is, or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is your treasure, is your mind fixed on heavenly things or earthly things? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, Jesus said. Do you want to have treasure in heaven? Lay everything else down. If we don't, we're not really receiving Christ. I know that's a hard thought to think about, but there are things that are there because, see, the devil's trying to deceive us. Well, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I believe in the blood of Jesus. Where's the evidence? Do you want the evidence now, or do you want to wait till you get to the throne and you start laying out evidence? Well, I went to church. I cast out demons in your name. I did all these things in your name. And he says, Matthew 7, be away from me. I never knew you. Do you want to give the evidence then? Or do we want to see the evidence of life now? Listen, I'm not telling you to be perfect now. 
if you want to be perfect, if you want to have treasure in heaven, there has to be evidence now that your life is dead, that you're not pursuing this down here, but you're pursuing God's plan, God's work, being a servant and loving others and telling the truth. But there's a great deception going on that if we go to church and we dress up and we have good manners and we learn. And and, and listen to me, I've only been a Christian for about 23 years, but I continue to see churches that grow up. And you know what happens when they grow up? They're no longer childlike and they grow up and they go away and they become apostate. And how do, what, do you, what, am I, what are you saying, Greg? It's when the board says, Hey, Pastor, we really would like for you to wear a dress shirt and a suit on Sunday morning. And hey, you door greeter, we really would like for you to look a little better as you open the door to people and the first person that they meet. And you begin to grow up and think that it's all outer appearance. You begin to grow up and think it's about the money and the tangible things down here instead of souls of men. And you can watch them grow up. They started out in the back of somebody's house, and and, and they're just taking, we'll take anybody that comes. Just anybody. We just want the lost. And then pretty soon it's like, yeah, but we're trying to direct this at them. And we're trying to get those. And we need to dress like this. And we need to play music like that. And they begin to twist it all into man's little box. And they grow up. You know, you ever see kids, when they, I call them kid-deprived. When they see a kid, they, didn't, they don't ask that kid any questions. They're just like, you want to play? They're kid-deprived. They just want to play. They're, any kid they see, they're like, we're best friends. And they just go off. They don't, have any, they don't have any other ideas. They're just hanging out. And they just want to be children together. They don't go, ooh, I'm not playing with them. They're dressed differently. They're like, man, it's good to have another kid here because these adults are sick. Listen to me. You don't want to grow up. You want to stay a child, childlike. But you don't want to be childish. You do want to mature in your actions, but in your heart you want to have childlike faith, always knowing that God can do the impossible. Always believing that you keep praying for them. You keep seeking them. You don't stop serving them because they don't act right. You keep doing what God has put in you. Or you can go away sorrowful. You have to be willing to lose everything and give up everything. Don't be discouraged because, you know, he's going to tell his disciples later when they do give all that up, they're going to get a hundredfold more in this life and in the future. But if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. Try to hang on to your, uh, I'm not going to be a child. I'm not humbling myself. Well, okay. Then you're not living the gospel and you probably don't believe in Jesus and you're resisting the spirit of God. I'm not serving him. I'm Well, then you're not listening to the gospel and you're not listening to the Holy Spirit and you probably don't have the Spirit of God in you. Death to self is what the cross is about. It was the Roman implement of death. Do I have it? Cross, a stake or a post, a pole or a cross, an instrument of capital punishment. They knew that clearly. 
when Jesus was talking of a cross, that he was talking about death to their own selves. We want to have treasure in heaven. We have an inheritance. We've been given a joint, we're joint heirs with Christ. But are we following him? Are we in the way with him? Or are we still going our own way? Now, I want you to, to not make any mistake here. Listen to me. Listen to me. Don't make any mistake here. Because what really is the biggest problem this guy's got? The biggest problem this guy's got, the biggest thing that he did, the biggest lie he listened to, he walked away. He walked away. Apostasy. He walked away. He didn't grow in faith because he didn't hear it. He didn't accept it. He rejected it and he walked away. Don't walk away. If you keep drawing near to God, He'll draw near to you. Don't walk away. You can wrestle with it. You can fight. You can struggle with it. You can say, well, that's Greg, what he's talking about. It's not what really, I don't get that. I'm not liking that. But don't walk away from God. Don't say, if that's the gospel, I'm not going to do it. Don't say, if that's the truth, I'm out of here. Watch what happens with this guy. But he was sad. Contrast at this word. See, the word of God is the sword of the Spirit. The word is there to correct you. The word is there to direct you. He was sad at this word. Oh, I'm sad with that. And he went away. Sorrowful. For he had great possessions. No, his possessions had him. He walked away. And the biggest mistake we can make is not, is not playing religion. It's not culturanity. Of course, if you stay there, you're in big trouble. You need this love relationship. But to walk away and not even care is the biggest problem this guy had. In his pride, in his deception, he walked away. He stopped calling him good teacher, and he walked away. So he rejected the free gift that he should have received as a child. He rejected the correction of the one thing that he lacked. And Mark 10:22, he went away sorrowful. Because he had great possessions. Another point is, notice this. Jesus looked around and said to him, verse 23, said to his disciples, Jesus didn't say, Whoa, wait, wait, don't leave. Wait, come back here. Wait, rich young ruler. I think you can help our church because you got some money. Don't run off. Let me, let me lighten that load a little bit. Maybe I was a little too hard with that sermon. Maybe we ought to change this just a little bit so you'll stay. 
Jesus is a gentleman. He didn't chase after him. He didn't run to get him. Because his heart, like the prodigal son, he has not come to his senses. See, if you come to your senses, the Father will run to you. Jesus didn't chase after him. Nor do I believe the church should chase after people. It has to be a work of the Spirit. And the only thing we have to fish with is the truth of the Word of God. We might chum the water with the truth. And if we catch anything, then we wash them and we clean them. We have fellowship with them. Jesus didn't chase after those who would not receive truth. Oh, don't get me wrong. The Spirit of God is still pursuing people that are rejecting truth for a period of time. I don't know when that ends. The Spirit of God still says, Oh, please don't do that. God loves you. He died for you. You need to receive this. You need to surrender before you die. But notice Jesus didn't change anything that He had said. What did the man do? He went went his own way. Just like verse 21 says, Go your way and sell everything. But this man went his way and kept everything and lost his own soul. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Go your way. There's only two ways. You go your way or you follow Jesus in your way with Him. There's only two roads. There's life, eternal life, and eternal death. You become a maggot or you become a new creation in Christ. Or you stay a maggot, I should say, because we're already the offspring of a fly. Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies. And you either hate God or you love Him. Just like we read in Exodus 20. So what's it going to be? Joy of the Lord? Or do you want to go away sad and sorrowful because something is holding you? Listen, the point I'm trying to make here is that He walked away. If you keep coming and you even reason with God, you say, but God, I like this. And this is a, and, and let him keep, you keep coming. And he'll wash you and cleanse you. He'll clean you. You keep coming. And you say, but I'm having a hard time turning loose of this anger. I'm having a hard time uh, forgiving them. I'm having a hard time with this that I'm holding on to that's my strength and what I like. Keep coming to him and let him take it away from you. You don't have to be perfect today, but if you want to be perfect and have treasure in heaven, don't walk away. Let Him soften your heart. Let Him clean you. One thing we lack is humbling ourselves in the sight of the Lord. Trusting Him. Jesus didn't chase after Him. He died for him. He gave him the truth. He told him what he lacked. What do you lack? What is it that keeps you in your way instead of following God's way? 23, then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Ooh, because riches have him. They own him. He's in bondage to them. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again. See, he knows they're astonished. And what did he say to them? Children. Look how he speaks to them. Because he just said a minute ago that unless you receive 
him as a child. So now he's referring to his disciples who are listening and waiting. They haven't walked away. He's referring to them as children because they're in his family. And he says how hard it is for those who trust in riches. One more word to help you understand what he's talking about. See, he didn't say that the first time, but when they went, oh, wow, and they stayed, he gives them one more word, trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the word trust means this, to make friends with, to yield to, to have confidence in. Oh, oh, wait a minute. It means to obey. See, when you obey riches instead of obeying God, when you obey, when you yield to them, when you let them direct your life and the thought of making money or getting money more than the thought of winning souls, you've walked away from God. You've fallen short. Something you lack. And then he says this to give him a good example. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. (gasps) Remember, he said he qualified it, one who trusts in riches to enter the kingdom of God. He's calling that, that's what he means by a rich man. One who's trusting, obeying, yielding to riches and the culture, the world that's, that's, that's after money. They're in their own way. It's a different way. It's not the way of God. God's way is souls. God's economy is souls. God gave His greatest possession to win souls. That's where His economy's at. His economy is not in earthly riches. You want to give everything that you have to win souls. You want to use everything that you have to win souls. You want to deny yourself and you want to follow Him and be in His way. It means that you give everything and you become a servant and you love others and you give them truth so you can win their soul. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Or you can walk away sorrowful. But there's great joy when you know that you've entered into the work of God. Even when it even when it strains you, even when it's hard, even when you can't, you're like, oh, this is crazy. I want to go do this. And even when and you're interrupted, and we call them holy interruptions, even when you know that you would rather be doing something else, but you're doing what God called you to do, it gives you joy. And I'm not talking about smiling joy. Or you look like some nutcase. Some people do smile like that. I'm talking about inner peace and inner joy and inner rest because Jesus is your Sabbath. And you know that you're doing what He's called you to do. You're searching Him out and you haven't walked away even though you might stumble off sometimes. You're still looking to do the will of God. Twenty-six, And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? Now listen, that's, it, that, that's there just in case you thought this was really about rewards and not being saved. The disciples then didn't think it was about rewards. 
They didn't think any nonsense then about something else. They heard His words and they go, wow, who can be saved then? Just so that you know, it's about being delivered from the sin nature. It's about being delivered to the kingdom of God. It's not about something else. Oh, well, now they're just talking about what, you know, you know, this stuff that you, your sanctification and, and there's things going on and what are you going to, no, he's talking about salvation. Clearly, when you see the context of them saying, who then can be saved? And here's the good news. Verse 27, but Jesus looked at them. Notice how he's always looking. I love it. I want God to look at me. I want him to see me. If I'm learning to walk, I want... You know, think about it. If, if your child is learning to walk and be a child, and you're looking over here while the kid's trying to walk and they fall and bust their head, no, no, Christ is always looking at us. His eyes are always upon us. He's always wanting us to do better. He's always there encouraging us. His Spirit is, is our strength. That's good. It's good. His eyes should always be upon us. I love that. I have comfort with that. How about you? Do you want His eyes upon you? Oh, I know. If you're sinning and you're doing something wrong, you need to know His eyes are still upon you. You're like, ooh. But looking at us means favor. And he says in 32.8 of Psalms, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Isn't that good? I love that verse. 32.8 of Psalm. I want his eyes to be upon me. I want to hear his counsel. I want to have his favor. I want to be his favorite child. Anybody got children that argue about who's the favorite yes john thought that he was john thought he was the one that jesus loved that's a relationship when you have that love relationship you can feel like you're the one he's looking at all the time the one he's loving on all the time how's your relationship going oh i know you might run you might kneel down you might call him good and try to flatter him. But when he asks you to do something, do you go away sorrowful or do you obey? Because it shows which family you're in by who you obey. Here's the hope, 27. But Jesus looked at them and said, With men... Religion, with men running and kneeling and speaking and chasing riches, it's impossible. But not with God, for with God all things are possible. Listen, all things are possible with God. That's where He gets the greatest glory, is when you keep coming and you don't walk away. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I want to obey, but my flesh keeps doing it. You know, as Paul said, wretched man that I am. The thing that I want to do, I don't do. And the thing I don't want to do, I do. Who will save me from this wretched man? And he said, I thank my God in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the only one that's going to save us. But if you walk away sorrowful, instead of keep coming and keep drawing near and keep asking, You become apostate. 
You might continue to play religion. You might continue to run. You might continue to kneel down. You might continue to say, I'm a Christian and Jesus is my Savior and never have your heart changed at all. Never have treasure in heaven. Never have peace and rest, but always be sorrowful. All things are possible with God. Just keep coming to Him. Keep laying your heart out before Him. Continue to read the Word of God. Continue to pray. Continue to have fellowship. Fellowship is so important, people. If you're isolating and in your home and hidden out and you don't get to go to church, you don't get to have fellowship with any other Christians, then all you have is your Google and your Internet to lie to you. And believe me, the whole world's underneath the sway of the wicked one and they are giving you a different narrative and you're going to go your own way. You're not going to be following Jesus. You need other brothers and sisters to keep you accountable. You need the fellowship of the saints. There's no way to survive on your own. You will go your own way. You will walk away. And you'll think you're okay. And then you'll get there to the Matthew 7 and say, But wait a minute. I was, and I did, and, and, I, and I went, and I, 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 I. And he'll say, Be away from me. I never knew you. Relationship. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness and wickedness. It has to be under the blood. It has to be according to his gospel. In fact, we'll continue, and I won't go ahead of myself, 28. Then Peter began to say, he's always out there saying, but at least he's out there. At least he hasn't walked away yet. He comes back. See, because God knows where you're at. See, we have left all and followed you. Now think about it, because I know what I would have said. Quit boasting, Peter. Shut up, Peter. That's pretty pious, Peter. That's what we just dealt with with a rich young ruler. Now you're bragging about leaving everything, ain't you? You got a little pride going on. Jesus doesn't say that to him. Jesus meets him where he's at, and he said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one Get a calculator. What's no one who has left? Hang on a minute. It's not right. It's left. I was looking for that word. Where is it? Left. It actually is the word for sin forth, to forsake, to leave, to put away house. Remember, this is the liar's house down here. We have a mansion being made in heaven. We're going to leave this house down here. Brothers, sisters, father, mother, or wife, or children, or lands. That's your possessions. That's everything. That's your riches. For my sake in the gospel. See, you can't just walk away from your family. You can't just walk away from responsibility and say, I get to go to heaven. No, no, no. He says, for my sake and the Gospels. My sake and the Gospels. On account of is what sake means. By reason of. Who shall not receive a hundredfold now. In other words, there's great reward. There's great blessing. In laying down these things. In this time. Think about it. You know, when I got saved, 
I got saved, and then two, late, two days later I had to get married because I knew I couldn't go back to my family because I still had drug addict brothers living at my mom's house. I had, to, I had to have another plan. So I chose to forsake all of that and leave that and follow God. And you know what he gave me? A whole family. I gained way more than a hundredfold because as soon as I give my life to him and I begin to follow him, everybody else in the family of God became my brothers and sisters. And I had a new house. He's building it right now in heaven, a mansion, eternal in the heavenlies. See, we've got our mind on what the devil wants us to do is to think that right now it doesn't get better any better than this. That what I've got down here is going to be... It's not true. Chasing this stuff down here will keep you from following Jesus. Going your way will keep you from being in the way with Jesus. Pursuing riches or anything else will keep you from pursuing souls. And really, at the end of the day, that's all it's about. Your soul first, your discipleship first, your relationship first, and then others but as you put others first, He automatically takes care of your relationship. As you seek to serve and to love and to reach and to go get the lost, His Spirit is changing you from the inside out and transforming you into that new creation that looks like Jesus. Listen, we come as a child, but listen to what 1 Corinthians thirteen eleven says. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I become a man, I put away childish things. We need to grow up. He goes on to say, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. We can't see it clear. Our faith will become sight when we're perfected, when we're there with Him. So many Christians say, when I speak to them about things that they're doing with their family, they say, well, blood is thicker than water. And I say, just sound that out. Just reason that out. Just look at that. Yeah, the blood of Jesus is thicker than being born by water. From your mother's womb. The family of God is more important than the family of water. It truly is. It's a family that comes together and chooses. See, because with your earthly family, you didn't have any choice. But now you've been given a choice to choose your eternal family. Do you want to eternally be with maggots in hell? Or do you want to eternally be with God in heaven? Which family will we choose? I, I can see why he was sad and sorrowful if he chose maggots. He chose his riches. He chose his treasure here as opposed to following Jesus and having treasure in heaven. God assures us that there's going to be great reward. That we're going to have houses and brothers, sisters and mothers and children and lands. You know, I, I, I love my spiritual mothers. 
I love the older ladies in, in, in the faith that, that are not afraid to say something to me or tease me and joke with me the way that my wife, and they take my wife's side and everything. It's great to have a whole bunch of mothers. Isn't that amazing? We get to have that fellowship together as brothers and sisters in Christ. But notice what it says, that there's also with persecutions. See, if you choose to leave this world, the devil's coming after you. But greater is he that is in you than he that's in this world. All the devil can do is bite and nip at your feet. He can't hurt you. All he can do, he's a toothless lion. He pretends to have power. Yes, there'll be persecution. Yes, there'll be suffering. Yes, it will not go physically well sometimes. Actually, the word persecution means to follow after. How many people do you think if this rich young ruler would have went and sold his thousand bicycles or whatever he had of treasures and gave it all away, how many people would have talked bad about him? How many of his family would have said, what are you doing, you idiot? You just gave away everything. Again, I don't believe he gave away everything. I believe that was a mistake to give away everything. You want to use, you, you don't want mammon to use you, but you want to use it rightfully down here and be shrewd with it. And you want to use it for the kingdom of God. He said, sell it all and give to the poor. But I don't think he meant for him to give it all away to the poor. And, 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 I mean, a lot of people would like that, wouldn't they? Is that what you want to tell your church? That's what they tell them in the name it, claim it, blab it, grab it churches. Give it all to us. We're the poor. Notice Jesus didn't say, give it all to me. He said, give it to the poor. Jesus didn't need it. He was God. Even that doctrine doesn't line up down here today. They go, oh, just donate it to the church. Like the church is broke. That's a good doctrine, isn't it? Think about it. If, they, if somebody comes to you today, what would you tell them? Well, you just get rid of everything and you donate it to the church. And then come and you have eternal life. Terrible doctrine. Take care of the poor. Take care of those that are weak. Take care of the orphan and the widow. And in the age to come, eternal life. See that? There's going to be houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, a hundredfold, children, lands with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. Not eternal death. Because both exist. We can choose which one. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And there's much we can say about that, but what I would tell you is, is that the nation of Israel was first, the firstborn of God, and um, the church is now the bride of Christ. And the nation of Israel will be last. They'll be second. They can still be saved through Christ. But if you seek to put yourself first, you'll reap what you... There's the reward the way God does it. Fight for first place! God chooses from the back of the line. 
God didn't come and choose rich young rulers. Well, since you're a rich young ruler and you got a lot of money, I'm going to soften this message a little bit. Come up here and sit up front. Just sit right here in the front row right here. We'll take care of you. We're going to give you the best seat in the house. The gospel's the same for everybody. No matter how much money you got, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. But really, to deny self, you have to understand that you're spiritually bankrupt. You have to understand that, no, you haven't kept all of that, and you're not intrinsically good. You haven't been doing all of that since your youth. You've been living in your sin nature. You've been trained by the devil. You've been in the wrong house, and God has come to save you. And the only way that salvation is possible is with God. It's not possible with man. Man's ways will not save you. They'll make you twice the sons of hell. So you need a love relationship where you surrender to God. You need to go your way, get rid of everything you have, and come and throw yourself upon the love of God. Take up the cross, the instrument of death, and follow him. Join his way. You can't do both. Can't serve God and mammon. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that the gift has been given. Free salvation. You're the author and the finisher. You poured out your blood and you paid for the sin natures of all mankind, whomsoever will come. And all we have to do is receive that gift as little children. Childlike faith. We don't have to know everything about the house. We don't have to know everything about salvation. But just trust you. And do it your way. Lord, help us to lay down everything for your sake and for the gospel's sake. For the good news that salvation has come to all mankind. Thank you, Lord, for the inheritance, houses, lands, mothers, fathers, brothers and sisters. And yes, Lord, thank you for persecution and suffering that goes with that. Because we know that it gets better. That this is not the end of it all. That eternal life will be with you when we are glorified with you. Thank you, Lord, that you're coming to take the church home. And we pray, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana, 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear?
Bye.